I'm sure that's the sentiment of all of us, isn't it? I trust that Hurricane Dean will not be as destructive as Hurricane Hugo was. Well, Dean, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Someone said that the, one of the greatest words in the English language is the word forgiveness. Forgiveness. Why is forgiveness so important? And what difference does it make? Some nine to ten years ago, we had a crisis in our government and I would like to read a few short paragraphs from President Clinton's speech before the religious leaders at the White House prayer breakfast on September 10th, 1998. He said, I agree with those who have said that in my first statement before I testified, after I testified, I was not contrite enough. And I don't think that there is a fancy way to say that I have sinned. He goes on to say, I believe that to be forgiven, more than sorrow is required. At least two more things. First, genuine repentance. A determination to change and to repair breaches of my own making. I have repented. Second, what my Bible calls a broken spirit. And understanding I must have God's help to be the person I want to be. A willingness to give the very forgiveness I seek. A renunciation of the pride and the anger which cloud judgment. Lead people to excuse and compare and to blame and to complain. Close quotes. Would you turn your Bibles, please, to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, reading at verse 1. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters they shall not reach him. You are my hiding place. Your presence, you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. May God bless the reading of his word to us. May we pray for just a moment. Father, we bow our heads in your presence. 
And we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. We thank you, Father, that it tells us that the one whose transgressions are forgiven is indeed blessed. And Father, we thank you for having experienced your blessing. And we pray this morning that as we think about this psalm and the idea of forgiveness, the blessings of forgiveness, Lord, uh, would you continue to bless us as we think about your word. Bless this congregation of your people. And Lord, I would pray too that if there is someone here who yet needs to be forgiven of his sin, her sin, we pray that today indeed might be the day. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word blessed can be translated happy, contented, fulfilled, is the person whose sins are forgiven. Forgiveness changes everything in life. It changes my relationship with all the significant people in my life. And the change that forgiveness brings is so deep, so profound, that it changes one from an attitude of hostility and defensiveness to one of joy, of openness, and love. There are two more stories that I would like to share about forgiveness. President Ford in 1974, in granting a pardon to President Nixon, said, I do believe with all my heart and spirit that I, not as president, but as a humble servant of God, will receive justice without mercy if I fail to show mercy. My second story involves the late Roman Catholic Pope John Paul II, which appeared in the January 9, 1984 issue of Time magazine. The Pope had been gravely wounded in an assassination attempt in May of 1981. A few months later, in the bare white-walled cell in Rome's Rebibia prison, John Paul held the hand that held the gun that was meant to kill him. We don't know the exact words that were spoken, but the Pope forgave him for the attack on his life. And the cover of Time magazine asks, Why forgive? Why forgive? And I'd like to answer, Our survival in the world and in the world to come depends entirely on forgiveness. So let's look at our Bible passage for today, Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is one of seven penitential psalms. The others are 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. And these psalms are called penitential because they contain the elements of sin, of confession, and then forgiveness. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are spoken of as being the twin 
penitential psalms because they deal with David's two great sins, the sin of murder and the sin of adultery. And Psalm 32 was probably written one year after the sin of adultery and murder. Psalm 32 is used by many Jews at the end of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and all the events of the day that had transpired. One of my good Jewish friends said this about Yom Kippur. He said, for most of the day it's rather depressing. It's a downer. Because you spend a great deal of the day thinking about the past year, the things you did wrong, the evil thoughts that you had, the times that you played the part of the hypocrite. Yes, the day is a downer until you get to the final reading from the Scriptures, Psalm 32. It always saves the day, this friend of mine said. St. Augustine, as he lay dying, could look on from his bed to the wall in his room on which were inscribed seven passages of Scripture, among which was Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is a great psalm for living. It's also a great psalm for dying. I remember years ago at a youth convention in San Diego, Our speaker, before he spoke, literally wept for at least 15 to 20 minutes at the pulpit. And then he said this, and I've never forgotten, he said, Everybody's teaching me how to live, but nobody is teaching me how to die. Psalm 32 is a good psalm for dying. As in Psalm 1 The word blessed in the psalm is in the plural. To be forgiven is to experience not a limited blessing, but the abundance, the riches, the plural blessings of God. And there are many blessings of God. For our time this morning, I want to look at six things. I usually have three. But this morning, I've doubled it. The word blessed is plural, you see. I want to look at six things. First of all, the problem of guilt, the responses of guilt, the need for confession, the nature of confession, the effect of confession, and the reward of forgiveness. The problem of guilt. What kinds of things come into your life concerning which you have a guilty response. A parent and his teenager have had an argument. Hot words are spoken. The teenager slams the door and leaves the house with, I don't care if I ever come back. And the parent replies, that would be good riddance. And here we have some obvious sinful responses And I suspect some deep guilt feelings. Or another situation. Husband and wife are at it again. And the archives are opened. You know, the things that happened a long time ago but never forgotten. There's a battle royal. 
One finally goes to the spare bedroom and remains there for the night. Both are angry and can't sleep. One cries and the other fumes. Again, sinful responses plus guilt feelings. And the Bible's response to guilt is forgiveness. And I suppose there are hundreds of situations where we find the need of forgiveness. Moving directly to our text and David's problem with guilt, you will recall that King David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and has caused the man, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to be killed. And during the interim period, following those sinful actions and this psalm, we believe it was about a year. David, the murderer and the adulterer, as king, is attempting to bring justice to the people as he fulfills his role. Here's the murderer and the adulterer trying to bring justice. And we have to say hypocrite. Hypocrite. The prophet Nathan in Second Samuel chapter 12, in a very pointed parable, points out clearly David's sin. And it seems obvious from this psalm that David was leading a pretty miserable existence. His guilt was heavy upon him. And I want you to notice his responses of guilt. And I'd like to mention three. Guilt response number one in verse three. My body wasted away. The King James Version puts it, aching bones. You know, this condition is not arthritis. Psalm 38 verse 3 says, There is no health in my bones because of my sin. David is saying that he is miserable all over. And his bones suffered so much that he groaned loudly all day long. Aching bones is an expression that means he feels lousy, he feels terrible just all over. It means his strength is sapped. There's no vigor, no vitality. David is ready to collapse. His bones are barely able to sustain him. Guilt causes that. Guilt response number two is depression. Notice verse four. Day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Here we have a literal example of depression. The hand of God pressing down hard upon David. He literally felt depressed, pressed down. It was as if God's hand were crushing him. The sense of guilt was heavy on him. I recall the story of a high school teacher from Castlemont High School. He found himself in Israel. Well, actually, he went there. He didn't find himself there, but he went to Israel. And uh, he got in a bus and told the bus driver where he wanted to get out. But the bus driver forgot. And... Uh, the ride continued until 
he couldn't recognize any of the places where he was driving by and he finally said, Sir, would you please stop and let me out? And he got out of the bus and went into a store which just happened to be a Christian bookstore. And he looked around this bookstore and I hope you forgive me for saying this, but this is what he said. What the hell is this? He couldn't imagine a Christian bookstore in Israel. And here they were. Well, the proprietor came out and began to talk to him. And to make a long story short, this lady proprietor led him to the Lord. And he said this about his experience then. He said, I used to have a dry mouth. I felt guilty most of the time. And when I came to know the Lord, my dry mouth stopped. There's an interesting cure, isn't it? Well, guilt response number three is defilement. The kind of guilt David was feeling left him feeling dirty, unclean, impure. And we get this from Psalm 51 where David several times cries to be cleansed tries to be cleaned up because the stain of sin is so deep. And listen to these cries of David in Psalm 51, verse 2. It says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. David felt dirty and, and he wanted to be cleansed from that dirtiness. Psalm 7 of Psalm 51 Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And here's a man just crying out to be clean because he felt so dirty. And sin does that. Verse 10, Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, when one feels as dirty as David did, you know, you want to be clean. You want to be cleansed. And then lastly, verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. And how does that happen? Well, a deep sense of guilt moves us to confession. And why should one confess I want to look at four reasons from verses 1 and 2. Reason number one, because of transgression. God has given limits to human behavior and has made it quite clear that he expects human beings to operate within those limits for their own good and the well-being of society. And to a large extent, large extent, man has stepped over the bounds. He has transgressed God's standard. And he needs confession. How often have you and I stepped over the bounds into the forbidden territory of jealousy, of selfishness, of hypocrisy? That's transgression, folks. Another reason for confession, why should one confess, is 
because of sin. And, and I hope you've noticed in the reading already that there's four different definitions of sin. You have the word transgression, stepping over the bounds. Then you have the word sin, which is an archery term. And the word sin means to miss the mark. You have your bow and arrow there, and that's in those days when they would shoot the, uh, the bow. And uh, sometimes <laughs> you wouldn't even come close. I mean, you might hit the wall on the side of the target. But that's the sin, is to miss the target, is to miss God's standard, is to miss God's goal. And that's why we need to confess, oh God, I've missed the mark. I come short of the glory of God. The third reason is because of iniquity. That's an interesting word. Iniquity means to twist what is right to twist what is wrong and make it appear as if it were right. It's a sin of hypocrisy. It's giving a gift to someone that is touted loudly as a sacrifice when the only reason the gift is given is to get praise from men and a tax deduction from the IRS. That's iniquity. Reason number four, because of deceit or guile. A deceit is actually part of the sin called iniquity. It tries to cover up. Cover up. It's like a deep scratch in a fine piece of furniture that is covered up with some kind of filler and then sold as perfect and the scratch not disclosed. You know what the word sincere means? It's a double word, sin and seer. And it means without wax. Without wax. And where this came from was these uh, statues that uh, the Romans liked to put in their plazas. And sometimes the sculptor would uh, slip, a slip of the hammer, the slip of the chisel, and there was a gash in the statue. And so what would he do? He would get some wax and fill in the mar on the statue and sell it as if it were perfect. And then it would be put in the square or the plaza. And the rains would come. And the weather would be hot and then cold and some more rain. And you know, eventually the scar would show. That was an, wasn't a sincere statue. Sincere. Without wax. Without filler. Without cover-up. And that's why we need confession. Because of deceit. Because of guile. Because that which is not sincere in our lives. It was King David trying to manipulate Uriah by giving the appearance of an understanding king. And he had to portray his manipulation as something good and generous. But all the while it was deceit. 
Oh, Uriah, why don't you come on home and, uh, and have a furlough? It's not what he wanted at all. Now, I'd like to look at the nature of confession. And first of all, I'd like to define the word confession. Confession means an acknowledgement and an admission that one has sinned. Literally, it means to say the same thing. Confession means to say the same thing that God says about my sin. Confession means to plead guilty to the charges brought forward by conscience and the Word of God. How does one confess? Well, verse 5 contains three elements of confession. And if you've never been to confession... Here's how you do it. Once you notice, verse 5. First, there is an acknowledgement of sin. Did you notice the, the words there? I acknowledge my sin to the priest. No, it doesn't say that. I acknowledge my sin to you. To you, O oh God. He directly admits he has sinned. That's part of confession. Lord, I'm guilty. Secondly, David does not hide his sin. My iniquity, I did not hide. This means no concealment, telling all. They say confession is a good thing, so I want to confess something. When I was a boy, I stole some money from my mother. And I felt guilty. And after I had spent it, I still felt guilty. And uh, I wondered, how in the world was I going to confess that sin? I didn't want to admit it, but I wanted to confess it at the same time. So how do you do that? So I finally came upon this strategy. <laughs> this is not, not too great. I went to confession, and you know, you begin uh, pretty much the same, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And then uh, my strategy was I would uh, say what I had done as rapidly as I could. <laughs> and uh, that's what I did. And the priest said to me, what did you say? <laughs> and I ignored that question and just went on. He didn't hide his sin. You don't hide your sin to God. Because first of all, you can't hide. It's ridiculous to hide, but our, our minds are so corrupt that we think we can. We think we can get away with it, but we can't. So the second thing is, David does not hide his sin. My iniquity I did not hide. And thirdly, confession is to the Lord. You remember what I, I tried to point that out already. I acknowledge my sin to you. I will acknowledge my transgressions to God. And we come quietly in our study or wherever we can find a place and we say, Lord, I have sinned. But what is the effect or result of confession? Again, three things for our text. First, sin is forgiven. 
The word forgive is a very interesting word. In the Greek, it's the, uh, the word aphemi. And what it means is to carry away. To carry away. When God pronounced a judgment against Cain, Cain replied, My punishment is greater than I can bear. The word bear is the word forgive. On the day of atonement, the priest confessed his sins and the sin of the people on the head of the goat. And Leviticus chapter 16 verse 22 says, And the goat shall bear on itself the iniquity. The word bear there is the word forgive. God bears, God carries, God sends away, God forgives the penalty of our sin. And what happened on the cross? was that Christ bore our sins in His own body. The word bear or bore is the word forgive. Forgiveness means that someone has to carry the guilt and the punishment. When I forgive my brother, I release him from the load that he is carrying. And when a person is released from his load... It is a liberating feeling. You feel light. You can stand up straight. Forgiveness. When sin is confessed, the Scripture says sin is covered. And that's an Old Testament idea. On the Day of Atonement, when the priest went into the holy place, he took with him the censer. And we read that a cloud of incense covered the mercy seat in order that he might not die. And the cloud of incense was a symbolic covering that God might not see the sin of this one who had entered into his presence. Symbolic covering. And the third thing that happens with confession is that sin is not imputed. Imputation is one of the major doctrines of Christianity and of the Scriptures. And very simply, it means that all my sins are not charged against me. They are not taken into consideration against me. Somebody else takes them. My sin is placed on that someone else who we know is the Lord Jesus. The debt of my sin is canceled. It's removed. And I like that great big heavenly stance that says, paid in full. Paid in full. What further reward is there? Yes, guilt is removed. I'm forgiven of my sin. But will you please now notice verse 7. Great verse. What a wonderful verse. Verse 7. You, God, are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. The depression 
is replaced with songs. David says that the joy of forgiveness is like rings of people around shouting and singing the praises of God. You know the illustration that came to me, not very sophisticated, but you know the game called Ring Around the Rosie? And there you are in the center, and uh, there's a group of people all around you, and they're skipping around, dancing, and maybe singing. And I imagine these people to be peace. And then there's another person called love, and another one called kindness. And these are singing and dancing all around me. This is the place. This is the hiding place where the forgiven person lives. He lives in a place of joy. He lives in a place of singing. He lives in a place of acceptance. He lives in a place of endearment. He lives in a place where that hug is given, you know, that really nice feeling, wonderful hug. That's that place. That's the hiding place. And I'd like to ask this question. Have you received God's forgiveness? You know, it's, it's available today, this morning, right here, now. We can all experience that. Anyone feeling a burden of guilt? Aching bones? Depressed? Dirty? Would you like to confess your sin? That is transgression. Missing the mark. Iniquity. Deceit. And very importantly, would you like to be forgiven? Sins forgiven, carried away. Sin covered, sin not charged against you. Would you like that? Isn't that great? And would you like to experience joy and songs of deliverance? That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. And that's why we sing about love so often. Because that was an expression of great love. So great love that he came down here to take away my sins, to bear away my sins, to forgive my sins. Wow. What a great God we have. And I'd like to invite anyone here this morning who doesn't know that to, uh, to experience the release and the joy that forgiveness brings. I'd like to ask you to come up and see me after we pray. And I would just love to talk with you, anyone. So let's just bow our heads now and just ask God to uh, seal the message home to us. And even those of us who are Christians, that we might uh, respond with a great big thank you to God. 
Father, we come into your presence once more. And at the close of this meeting, we're constrained to say thank you, O Lord. Thank you, O Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, O Lord, for making me whole. And Father, we do pray that uh, you would bless this congregation of your people here this morning. May each person here know and have experienced the joy of forgiveness, the blessings of forgiveness. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And thank you, Father, for having provided that in Jesus. Dismiss us now with your blessing, Father, because we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.